Midday on the Rural Radio Network is on the air. And it's time for us to get into all of the details of the information that you need to get your Wednesday, midday, all the way through, in the know, with maybe a little information you can take to the bank. Who knows? Let's see if we've got any of that over here with Joe Gangwish. Well, the weather dis- didn't disappoint yesterday with what we were expecting. Pretty much, Just yeah. like we, yeah, as advertised, focused yeah. Focused a little bit further north, maybe, than we thought, but... Uh, yeah, absolutely. And have we had any uh, damage? Bob was saying that maybe there's a little uh, little wind damage reported out yeah, there. Yeah, that's all I've heard of is some wind damage instead of hail, which is good. And some pretty good rain reports, so we'll certainly take the rain. Yep. Ag News coming up at 12.13. More on rescinding the waters of the U.S. rule. Also, Chabella Guzman from KNEB. She will talk about health care for farmers and ranchers with Nebraska Congressman Don Bacon, who was out in that area recently. Also, the finely textured ground beef or pink slime defamation case against ABC. That was settled today, so we'll give you the update there. Jesse's with Ashley McKinney, social media coordinator for K-State's Sigma Alpha Chapter, uh, discussing raising over $20,000 for the Kansas wildlife relief efforts. Also at 1245, our newsmaker Kevin Keller today, he talks to Susan about corn rootworm. It's that time of year again to start talking about those pests. And at 117, Shaley with American Farm Bureau's Don Parrish. They will talk WOTUS repeal. That'll be our 117 slot. It's that time of year again. <laughs> corn pests, corn diseases. One of radio's great weeds, catchphrases. Yeah. All right, over to Jason Jorgensen. We go at sports. College World Series is over with. Yeah, Florida. got a new champ there. Huh? Yep, Florida made sure that happened last night with a 6-1 win over LSU. We have a reaction for you on their big win. It is the first time that they've ever claimed the title in college baseball action. Also, we'll tell you more about the Nebraska women's basketball team. Their non-conference schedule continues to come together. And even though we are in the middle of the summer, uh, there's some NBA news. Phil Jackson is out as general manager yeah. of the Knicks. You know, some people are good cooks, and other people you send to go get the groceries. Well, he wasn't the guy to go get the groceries. <laughs> he was a terrible, yeah. terrible general manager. Well, guy you know. could coach. I mean, when he had more rings than he had fingers, yeah. but just didn't work well, out. Well, Zen and the toolkit just didn't work out in the front office. No, yeah. so he can head off into retirement. Right. All right, thanks. And uh, over here for Bob Brogan is Dave Schroeder. Yes, stocks are moving uh, higher in early trading today on Wall Street, uh, recoupling or recouping some of yesterday's losses. Banks and other financial companies are up the most, while utilities are lagging and investors are looking over the latest company earnings and deal news. Uh, Ford is recalling more than 400,000 transit vans because uh, of uh, cracked drive shaft couplings that can cause those vehicles to lose power. The company, however, says it's not aware of any crashes or injuries from the problem. The uh, latest uh, indicators, the S&P has jumped up 20 points so far today. Dow Jones average gained 162 points, and NASDAQ Composite picking up 60 points at this point. All right. So an update. Also want to let uh, folks know that we have begun planning for our next Rural Radio Forum, which is heard on most of these stations. And uh, so we'll have uh, details of what's coming up for you on that. That's uh, now slated for August 1st. Mm -hmm. Very well listened to program. We're in the planning stages right now, so listen for further details. All those stories and more coming up today on Midday. 
Paul Perkins is in to bring us some regional ag weather brought to you by Coolman Repair. Another round of some thunderstorms, different uh, areas though this time around. Huh? Late today into tonight, the southern half of Nebraska, northern half of Kansas, also northeast Colorado looking at the potential for some severe storms. That's after last night that we had some damage in the Genoa area, several block wide stretch of wind damage in Genoa, several trees down there and also buildings damaged and winds gusting to around 70 in the Grand Island area. A lot of locations seen about an inch to an inch and a third in rain last night. Of course, uh, many areas missing out. Right now, though, warm and humid across the area. We do have temperatures mainly in the low 80s, and those dew points starting to get up there, so it does feel a bit on the humid side. Currently, that dew point at about the mid-60s in many locations. Temperatures will remain warm today. Some westerly winds behind that front that's now moving into eastern Nebraska and central and east Kansas. That front will act as a focus later today for some thunderstorms southeast of the line from about Geneva to Osborne in Kansas. Scattered thunderstorms are also possible tonight. Region wide as we see another disturbance track east out of the uh, high plains. The best chances tonight with those thunderstorms going to be along and south of I-80. Now there is a slight risk of severe storms today. Once again, along and south of I-80, the northern half of Kansas and also northeast Colorado, large hail possible initially, but then during the overnight, we may see what we saw last night, more of a wind and heavy rain threat. Tomorrow through Sunday, at least a few more chances for some thunderstorms with appreciable moisture. The best chances coming up tomorrow afternoon and evening, also Sunday into Sunday night. Those thunderstorms tomorrow expected to form along a cold front across the high plains. They'll then move to the east during the evening. Severe thunderstorms again look to be certain late in the day tomorrow into the evening with the eastern areas having a little bit better chance where they already have an enhanced risk for severe storms already out today. Now one of the better chances of thunderstorms over the weekend coming up on Sunday and Sunday night with the stronger disturbance tracking east. Those thunderstorm chances will be lower and more isolated for Saturday and Monday. Independence Day looks dry and as we head towards the holiday weekend looking like we're going to see some seasonal temperatures that will change though in the long-term forecast for the warmer there's a very high very high i mean likelihood of warmer than normal temperatures in nebraska kansas and nearly all of the u.s for monday through july 10th thanks to a big high pressure ridge that starts to take over the country highs in central nebraska during that period usually average in the mid to upper 80s with overnight lows on average in the low 60s mostly below normal Rainfall is forecast for Nebraska and Kansas Saturday through the 11th. In the markets today, weather factors include rain in the forecast for the Midwest and East Central Plains, drier and hotter weather for the Northern Plains, and a cooling trend for a short term in the Southern Plains. A cold front crossing the Midwest will continue to generate widespread rain and thunderstorms through Friday. Another disturbance will result in some additional rain during the weekend across the nation's midsection. By the weekend, heat will again cover nearly all of the western U.S. Rain across the Midwest will maintain some mostly favorable conditions for the development of corn and soybeans. They actually need some warmer and drier weather across the eastern Midwest. Now in the northern plains, drier and hotter weather is expected and that will last for an extended period next week. 
That's not good news in Montana, where they lead the nation right now in topsoil moisture, rated very short to short at 69%. Hot weather also expected across the southern plains next week after a cooler period this week that lowered the stress for corn and sorghum. There continues to be no concerns for the maturing wheat and harvest. The heat in the west continues to cause problems for firefighters battling more than three dozen western wildfires, including the 50,000-acre Bryan Head Fire in southwest Utah. The fires in various stages of containment and elevated threat of new or rapidly expanding wildfires exist in the southwest from the hot, dry, breezy conditions and also possibly some lightning. Now, rain last week from Tropical Depression Cindy, mostly beneficial. That favorable pattern is leading to more than half of the soybeans in the Delta states blooming this last week. That progress more than 20 percentage points ahead of the average. Same as it ever was. I guess it's always a case of the haves and the have-nots when it comes to rainfall, isn't it? Yes, and of course, uh, right here at the KRV studio, we got a nice rain, beneficial rain, because... Under an inch still for the month yeah. in rainfall total here at the KRB studio, despite the half-inch rain we saw last time. Let's look at some of those eastern Nebraska areas between about Lincoln and Omaha to two and a half inches. And the further you got east, I'm seeing even a 3.38. Wow. That was uh, recorded near Nebraska City last night. So a lot of rain in some places, but you haven't got your share yet. Hang on. Probably going to change. This report has been brought to you by Coolman Repair. And when you need weather anytime, krbn.com. Several organizations were able to pull together and supply relief efforts for those who are affected by wildfires this spring. For the Rural Radio Network, I'm Jesse Harding. With me is Ashley McKinney. She is with the Sigma Alpha chapter out of Kansas State University. She's our social media coordinator. Ashley, as we get going here, why don't you first tell us a little bit about Sigma Alpha in the sorority? And Sigma Alpha is a professional agriculture-based sorority we believe in supporting sisters in agriculture. That's what Sigma Alpha stands for. And we work with our chapter. We work with Ag in the Classroom as our main philanthropy. So we go to classrooms and help just promote Ag in the Classroom to spread the word of agriculture and educate people. When it comes to the wildfires that took place in Kansas, Oklahoma, Texas, and Colorado this spring, why was it something that the sorority decided to raise funds for? We decided to raise funds for it because it was something that hit so close to home. It happened in Kansas, and so we heard so much about it. And as being from ag backgrounds, we knew how hard it was and how much people lost. They lost their not only did they lose fences and stuff, but that's a way of life for people, and that's how they make their money. So we understood how hard it hit people, so that's why we wanted to raise funds for them. When it comes to the sorority, how many people are involved in the sorority and then were able to be involved in these relief fund raising? So at our chapter, we have, I'd say, about 60 girls in our sorority, and then... For we had some girls go down to South Kansas to help. I would say about 10 of us went down there. And then most of us helped with the sharing and advertising of selling our shirts to fundraise for the wildfires. 
Can you tell us a little more on what that looked like for you guys being able to raise these types of funds? Okay, so what we did is actually, she's a recent alum, Sydney Bigger was the one that came up with the idea. We actually had chapter, I believe, the day after the fires happened, and she thought of the idea and presented the idea to us, and we all thought it was an awesome idea. So actually the next day, she got the shirts done and got a page started, and we had it up the next day. So we just published it on Facebook, and then most of us sisters, we shared it and published it to our personal Facebooks and whatnot. We did get in our K-State daily email from the school. We did get an advertisement in there, but most of it was from Facebook and Twitter that we promoted it. When everything is all said and done, how much were you able to raise for relief efforts? We raised $20,111.14. And all of that was donated to Kansas Livestock Foundation, and they are just distributing it how they see fit. We've been talking with Ashley McKinney. She is part of the Kansas State University Sigma Alpha chapter and is their social media coordinator discussing raising over $20,000 for wildfire relief funds for those who were affected in Kansas this past spring. For the Rural Radio Network, I'm Jesse Harding. You're listening to Midday on the Rural Radio Network, and it's time to check sports with Jason Jorgensen. Hey, thanks, Dirk. Well, a big eighth inning helped Florida to the CWS title last night. The Gators scored four runs in the eighth to pull away from LSU to knock off their SEC brethren 6-1 to one to complete a two-game sweep in the College World Series final. That was their first national title in baseball. Freshman Tyler Dyson limited the Tigers to three hits and six innings of work in just his second start of the year, and the Gators capitalized on a couple of early LSU errors. Head coach Kevin O'Sullivan was confident things would turn out just fine for his bunch. I didn't put a whole lot of stock into the outcome of the game. I just thought if we could get a good start from Tyler and we could get some timely hits, we'd have a chance. And at, at that point, it was really out of my hands. The Gators wrap up a season in which they went 52-19 and and posted the eighth sweep in the 15 years of this best-of-three finals format. This is the first time there's been a sweep since 2013. LSU lost for the first time in seven appearances in that CWS title game. The Nebraska women's basketball team will collide with Clemson in the Big Ten ACC Challenge at Pinnacle Bank Arena on Thursday, November 30th. Now, the Big Reds game with Clemson will be just the second in school history between the two women's basketball programs. Well, Phil Jackson and the New York Knicks are parting ways after he oversaw one of the worst eras in team history and feuded with star Carmelo Anthony. Days after, Jackson reiterated his desire to trade Anthony, and he said he would listen to deals for some of New York's other players. Madison Square Garden chairman James Dolan reversed course and cut ties with the team president. The move comes less than a week after Jackson led the Knicks through the NBA draft and on the eve of free agency. The winner of an NBA record 11 championships as coach, Jackson couldn't engineer one playoff berth as an executive. Another NBA news, the Houston Rockets have reached an agreement to acquire L.A. point guard Chris Paul. And in tennis, the big four of men's tennis were given the four highest seedings in this year's tournament at Wimbledon. Top-ranked Andy Murray, the defending champion, is a top-seeded player, followed by Novak Djokovic, Roger Federer, and Rafael Nadal. And the 50th annual Nebraska Match Play Golf Championship is underway. Alex Shockey of Omaha 
Utah beat Doug Mitchell of Kearney earlier today. And of note, Caleb Madura of Aurora moved into the round of 16 with a win this morning. That's a look at sports. Stay tuned. More Midday is just ahead. You are listening to the Rural Radio Network. Sunny today with a high near 90 north winds around 5. Tonight, a 30% chance of showers and thunderstorms mainly after 1 a.m. Increasing clouds with a low of around 64. And then for Thursday, a 30% chance of showers and thunderstorms mainly after 1 p.m. Partly sunny with a high near 85. From the KRVN News Center, I'm Scott Foster. Today from 4.30 to 6, there will be a special presentation by the University of Nebraska Med Center at the NSG Banquet Room in Gothenburg. Senator Matt Williams talks about it. And we will be hosting the chancellor of the University Med Center, Dr. Jeffrey Gold, along with some other staff people from UNMC. And they will be sharing their thoughts about what the role and the initiatives of the Med Center are. Williams says one of the main topics will be cancer research, especially with the Buffett Cancer Center coming online. I remember a time when people were afraid to ever use the C word, cancer. Cancer's been feared for decades, but today, and I think you will hear Dr. Gold talk about this, the C could stand for courage, commitment, character, those kind of things. So I would encourage people to come find out what your university is doing in our state and how important it is to uh, the future lives of people in our country. The presentation is open to the public today. The second annual Lex Biz Kids Entrepreneur Expo took place on Monday at the Lexington Walmart. Lexington Middle Schoolers developed a business plan to sell a product. Director Janita Pavelka talked about the ultimate goal of the day feeling successful so I started my own business I um, and maybe they made some made some money made some made a profit but also that I want them to know that um, hi my name is Manuel and I own Manuel's flags and I painted these because I like to paint and so they feel successful that they made something with their hands they're able to uh, to greet the customer and look them in the eye and be confident 21 young people took part in the expo this year The state of Kansas says its divorce rate has dropped to the lowest level since it began keeping records in 1966. The Kansas Department of Health and Environment says last year's divorce rate fell to 2.6 per 1,000 persons. There were 7,198 divorces statewide in 2016. The department says that for much of the 70s and 80s, the divorce rate was above 5 per every 1,000 population. Get your news fast and first when you like our Facebook page in the KRVN News Center. I'm Scott Foster. Corn rootworms will be a problem again this year. Good afternoon. I'm Susan Littlefield on the Rural Radio Network. Kevin Keller is a DeKalb Asgrow technical agronomist as he talked about the weather of the winter into this growing season. Yeah, so like your comment on the weather, it's definitely going to be entirely up to what the local conditions have been this year. So a couple of things that are detrimental to to corn rootworm survival is our overall um, environment that we see throughout the winter. We had an overall pretty mild winter with a lot of areas that were pretty dry. So that's going to help with the uh, reducing or not reducing efficacy of, of the corn rootworm eggs over the winter. 
as we get into those larvae hatching now, as they've been hatching over the last couple of weeks, we've had fairly dry conditions, which on the same note, uh, hasn't been very detrimental to the overall survival. So there is a greater chance this year of seeing larger populations of cornworm larvae working on some of our plants right now. Important. I mean, and we always talk about having to scout the fields, Kevin, and I know that I know a few that are just as guilty as the next one of driving by, glancing at the first couple of rows and thinking they're okay. But getting in-depth into those fields and looking, is that what you guys are still considering with, with this worm issue? Yes. Yeah, I would I would highly recommend that if there's been a history in the area especially, but any of those corn-on-corn fields, I would encourage growers getting out, digging up some plants. One of my favorite things to do is find some volunteer corn patches and just see um, if there's a presence of corn rootworms. Sometimes they're easier to find the larvae at higher populations in those areas. But don't utilize that as your as your threshold uh, determinant. You know, you definitely want to go to your traded plants that you planted to see what the what the rootworm larvae look like as far as population and also stage. What is the economic threshold that we're looking at before they need to be treating? So typically, right now, if you're looking at 350 corn, um, you know, everybody's trying to look at the economics of things, which makes entirely great sense to, to consider all the costs. But typically, I would recommend that if you're starting to see around three to four um, first instar larvae um, around those, those plants, around those roots, I would consider making an application. Again, you know, looking at what your costs are for your individual operations. Now, I know this is happening in the south, and I don't know how much you guys have, have talked about it looking at the north, but I know there's been talk of a, a ladybug lookalike. I'd overheard and read some Twitter conversation between some, some growers. Is that a concern that somebody might think they have one thing and it's another? Okay. Um, with any insects, that's entirely possible, too. So right now... Um, so a couple of weeks ago, starting about two, two weeks ago or so, depending on what part of the state you're in, uh, we started seeing, um, that, uh, the eggs hatch and actually have larvae with the corn rootworm right now. We'll probably start seeing some beetles start to emerge, um, sometime around the 4th of July or first part of July here, uh, as we transition here and turn the page on the calendar. So if you're seeing beetles now, uh, there's probably a likelihood that it's something else and not rootworm, but do, um, do keep in mind that as we get in the southeast Nebraska, um, further south and east, we may see some of those beetles emerge. So right right now we're primarily looking at larvae um, before we get into the beetle stage. And you guys have a you guys have a good source as well for keeping an eye of where the corn rootworm is at with a with a website, correct? Yes, that is correct. It's in, insectforecast.com and that's something that's good to keep an eye on, not only for corn rootworm, but for some of our insects, especially some of them that do uh, not only overwinter here, but, but fly up in this direction or, or move um, across the, our corn-growing regions as well. Well, I'm curious, as you've been out scouting fields and spending time with, with your customers, what are you seeing? What is the feeling out there for this year's crop? Overall, uh, I think... For what we've gone through with our weather this spring, things look fairly good. Um, but at the same time, overall, I would say the crop's fairly average, uh, meaning that we went through a lot with what Mother Nature handed us this spring. Um, it's been challenging for a lot of growers. Um, and at the same time, I think we came out okay with planting. There's there's certainly some impacts that are still out there, though, of what we saw this spring and now with the dry conditions. 
upon us. Uh, I know a lot of growers are hoping for rain, so uh, stay tuned. But uh, I think overall, again, you know, things look okay, but uh, but not not as ideal as what they have been in the past few years. Other agronomists also talking about concerns when it comes to rootworm and just the growing frustration for this corn crop. For example, the roots architecture. Wet soils have prohibited some roots from extending into the soil, which can lead to standability and lodging issues later in the season. Sidewall compaction with planting in wet soils followed by warm, windy days has led some root architecture challenges. Farmers should dig up roots to look for pancaking or flat roots if they have concerns. Root scarring and tunneling in most areas, the corn rootworm egg hatch occurred early in June. Farmers should dig up several roots. Larvae should be big enough to be seen on the roots. Feeding damage also may be apparent as browned, pruned roots. Damaged roots hinder the plant's ability to take up water and nutrients, which of course then leads to poor grain fill and lodged plants. It can also lead to plant vulnerable to additional disease pathogens. If you have any questions or concerns, contact your local agronomist or county extension educator. I'm Susan Littlefield on the Rural Radio Network. And we're back on the Rural Radio Network, and we visit next with Joe Teal at Great Plains Commodities. And Joe, another day of strange, or should we say volatile movement again in cattle futures? Yeah, I'd go along with the volatile uh, movement in uh in cattle futures, erratic and, and volatile. Uh, yeah, we're going to go close higher, uh, even some triple-digit gains back in the uh, uh, feeder cattle and uh, in, in a couple of the head uh, cattle contracts. But uh, started out lower, stayed lower most of the day. The cutouts came out at noon, sharply lower again. Then we started getting results out of the auctions and the uh, what cash trade take took place uh, was better than anticipated, and what do you know? We turn around and rally. So we're uh, we're having a good time uh, riding a roller coaster up and down and up and down right now. Uh, we have for the last couple of days, and it's certainly going to depend. Cash is still the determining factor, particularly to that June contract, which goes off on Friday. Uh, so. Uh, I would expect uh, more roller coaster rides and uh, still erratic uh, and uh, volatile trade out of the cattle. Over in the hogs, uh, uh, cash still uh, leading the way, uh, uh, and the uh, cutouts were higher again. We're uh, seeing some uh, cutouts we haven't seen for for a year, and uh, that helped propel the uh, uh, futures higher still chasing the index, which uh, so far is uh, still leading the way there, too. So uh, all, all in all, a positive day for uh, livestock today. Thanks, Joe. Joe Teal, Great Plains Commodities. Call 800-328-0134. For the Rural Radio Network, I'm Shaylee Peters, and today I visit here with Don He's the Senior Director of Regulatory Relations with the American Farm Bureau Federation. Don, exciting news as we are one step closer now to basically getting rid of WOTUS, Swatters of the U.S. rule. Um, news coming down that the EPA is going to repeal this. Talk to us and give us some of the details coming off of this announcement here, Don. Well, what EPA made clear today is that they've got to do a rulemaking to withdraw the Obama rule. And ultimately, they're proposing to withdraw it. 
we're going to have to comment on that. Then the agency has to decide if, in fact, uh, that is supported uh, in the record and by the by the comments. And then they'll decide whether or not they go forward with step two. Step two will ultimately be deciding a, maybe a rule that is a lot more clear than the administration put into place. As I mentioned, this has been a long time coming, um, and it has to certainly be a good sign that it's the EPA themselves proposing this no outside you know group trying to get this put in place it's the epa themselves proposing this uh it is it's gratifying that farm bureau and our grassroots members really raised this up to be a very important uh public policy issue it's one that the trump administration heard loud and clear it's also one that even in the courts you know you had over 30 states challenge the obama rule and something like 53 different non-governmental organizations, including environmentalists, that disagreed with this rule. So I think this is an, an opportunity to kind of put stake in the heart of this this regulatory overreach, and we're looking forward to commenting on it. You mentioned the different steps it's going to take uh, regarding this announcement. How long does that, what, what sort of time frame does that look like? Next six months, the next year, sooner than that? Well, the administrator has, has issued a very... Uh, aggressive timeline. He would like to have this uh, rule withdrawn if the record supports that soon. And then uh, ultimately putting out a new proposal that would replace that rule uh, maybe sometime early next year. So that's that's the overall timeline. We're going to be very supportive of the administrator do, looking at this, but looking at it in a way that, that kind of... Um, stands the test of time as well as one that is that, that complies with the law so we're very very much looking forward to a rule that we think uh you know comports with what congress intended in the words that congress used when they passed the clean water act well and something certainly that i think ag groups alike will probably look forward to maybe having some input in and not just brought to the table saying this is the way it's going to be uh, we're very excited about that and i would offer uh, farmers and ranchers a, a really good glimpse into what I think we're going to have in the future. Uh, the Trump administration and Mr. Pruitt already has has gone out with a federalism consultation where he's gone out and asked states for input into withdrawing this rule and what a replacement rule would look like, and the states have been funneling back information, and the good news, whether you're supportive or not, uh, not, there hasn't been any state that believes that the Obama rule was the right way. Uh, every state has commented that there were problems, and they very much look forward to working with the administration on putting a rule together that is protective of water quality, uh, but yet, you know, provides some clarity to the regulated community. All right. Thanks so much, Senior Director of Regulatory Relations, Don Parrish, visiting with us today. I'm Shaley Peters, and you're listening to the Rural Radio Network. Dewey Nelson on the Rural Radio Network. Spring wheat reached three-year highs today with big rally again in those uh, futures. That pulled up the winter wheat futures as well. To talk more about this, John Payne, Senior Marketing Analyst, Daniels Ag Marketing in Chicago, and publisher of the newsletter, This Week in Grain. So what's your thought on on the uh, wheat trade? It was all Minneapolis again? 
Uh, all Minneapolis. So the next couple of days, we obviously have, a, I think, a, kind of a bearish factor in the markets with delivery. Harvest picking up in Kansas seems to be going pretty well. Um, but tomorrow we get the Canadian spring wheat numbers. And I think right now, given that uh, you've had a real hard time growing in, in the Dakotas, uh, if those spring wheat planted acres come in low, I think this thing could leg higher. Now, at this point, I think we're hitting levels where it's going to start to drag the Kansas City. Um, we're blown out now almost $2.50 in July over July. So July, Minnesota, Minneapolis wheat is trading $2.50 almost to a premium of the KC. That was the high in 12, 2012. So that was the high. We got, we got up to about 250 in that year. So to get above that, I think we're going to really need to see some some continued uh, you know bullish action in one and bearish action in the other. And you know we're we're kind of through the harvest. The good news is out of the barn as far as the wheat goes in Kansas, and uh, now it's about demand and uh, you know essentially this spring wheat supply. And the corn, there's a little bit of selling pressure ahead of the July futures delivery too. Yeah, I, I really look at July delivery as the reason we're down here. Weather, obviously, we've seen some rain out your way, and um, you know the the temperatures out east here. I'd even say maybe we're at a detriment of cool. I mean, we're getting highs in the 50s at night, and just lack of growing units and out wet, out east in the end. I mean, there. I think that's where you're going to see the acreage down. So I look for a return to corn volatility to the upside in the coming weeks ahead. The uh, 8 to 14-day forecast looks like heat is coming on, and we get those heat units coming back, especially in the more northern regions. Dakotas, you know, Dakota, they produce, uh, I think, like a sixth of the bean crop. So if, if we have a problem up there, I think that's going to really bleed in the market. So for me, I'm, I'm bullish corn, probably a little more bullish soybeans here in the longer run. I think beans have the story to really push it on the demand side. And they've been beat up against corn and wheat in the last two, three weeks, and I think that could return the other way. Traders had a little bit of, uh, I guess, position squaring already when you saw that little action between corn and soybeans? Yes, I think that's what we're seeing. End of the quarter, huge, huge report on Friday. You know, this is this is just a, a really volatile time of the year. We're, we're kind of opening a door here over the next month, month and a half to, uh, to a lot of unknowns, and it starts on Friday, so be ready. All right, John Payne. Senior Marketing Analyst, Daniels Ag Marketing in Chicago. Go to danielsagmarketing.com. I'm Dewey Nelson.